We are in chapter six, Mishnah number six of Perkei Avos. We've been here for a while because this is the famous 48 ways to wisdom. There are 48 ways that our sages identify to achieve wisdom. And we're up to way number 13, Be'yishuv, which is a little bit of a hard word to translate. Yishuv means reconciled or settled or calm or at ease or balanced. I decided to go with equilibrium. And the reason why is because it's not exactly unanimously agreed upon as to exactly what this means. What does it mean, Be'yishuv? Is this a method of study to study with Yishuv? Is this a state of being, a temperament? The correct temperament that enables the pursuit of wisdom is Yishuv. Is it both? It's not so clear. But I think that the term equilibrium can work for both. You could study in a state of equilibrium where there really isn't a lot of internal conflict. And that's Be'yishuv. And you can study until a state of equilibrium is reached. And that too would be another angle of this idea of this way to wisdom, way number 13, with equilibrium. Now I want to explain what I mean by this, and it's a bit of a deep idea, so please listen carefully. Humans, I hate to say it, are complicated. Despite putatively despite nominally being all members of the same species, humans disagree on a great many things. In almost every area of life, everyone seems to arrive at a different conclusion. You know, the poles are not unanimous. And that's on a population-wide scale, on a society-wide scale. But us being complicated... It's even more granular than that. Even within a single person, there's often conflict. There's uncertainty. There is a lack of clarity. Sometimes I think that this is the right approach, but sometimes I think that the opposite is what I should do. And sometimes I feel like this, and sometimes I feel like that, and sometimes I behave like this, and sometimes I behave in a way that is exactly in opposition to the way I behaved yesterday. So even within a single person, there is conflict, there is obfuscation, there is conflicting ideas and conflicting thoughts. We're not a monochromatic, a stable species. And of course, we know the reason. A human is not a single thing. There are a lot of cooks in the kitchen, as they say. If we would take every part of the human and kind of separate it out, if we just take the body and remove any other forces, it's much less complicated because the person would be very similar to an animal. And with animals, if you could poll animals, you'll find a lot more consensus. Now, if we take the other part of humans, the soul, we can remove any vestiges, any remnants of physicality, of baseness, of corporeality. And we just pull the souls. Again, you'll arrive at more consensus. It's like angels. They agree. 
It's only because we humans were hybrids. We're half angel and half beast. And by the way, the ratio of those two is in constant flux. That's why we're so complicated. We're half angel and half beast. And therefore, there are more than one identities that capture who we are. And the truth is, that's not even a completely accurate way to describe it. It's even more polarized than that. Humans, not just a half angel, half animal. On our angelic side, we're way loftier than angels. But if you isolate our physicality, our animalistic side, we're capable of being more heinous, more ruthless, more cruel, more violent, more vile, more malevolent than the worst beasts imaginable. That entire spectrum, from being way loftier than angels to being way, way, way worse than animals... All that is within the sphere of feasibility of possibility within a single human. And it doesn't even end there. That's just if you talk about what we are. But there are even more cooks in the kitchen, or at least more influences there. Our confusion, our lack of clarity, the complicated nature of humanity It's not just about, oh, we have a soul, we have a body, and therefore there is conflict. Our confusion is also a byproduct of what is influencing us. We have opposing forces trying to sway us in this direction or that. Of course, we have the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. It's not part of who we are. But it is a force that operates both within us and outside of us trying to pull us in the direction of our physicality and away from our eternal selves. But we also have a conscience, and we also have a heart, and we also have an intellect, and we also have a yetzer tov, a good inclination. And that's this spiritual and ethical compass within us that's pulling us to be better, to improve, to be more spiritual, to be more good and more kindly. And of course, that's just within a person. There's also external factors, people in our lives, good and bad, the neighbors, the society. I say this tell us that man is a small world. And when we say man, we mean mankind, humans. Just like the world is complicated, lots of different things happening. All sorts of variables and factors are in the world. So too within a man, within a person, there are a lot of swirling factors that all come together. Innumerable variables and factors, all of them are vying for a say. All of them have an agenda. All are trying to control and we think of ourselves as well. We're, we're just we, me. And sometimes I want this and sometimes I want that. And sometimes I, I do this and sometimes I do good. And sometimes I live in a very aspirational way. And sometimes I just fall down and I make mistakes and I do 
silly themes and I act in a way that's harmful for my future. But the truth is there are other forces at play. We're not just a single entity. We are essentially body and soul. And the, the range of that possibility goes from the absolute apotheosis of human, or really of, of, of creation existence. The verse tells us that mankind is one notch less than God. Of course, God is a creator. We are a creation. But Moshe, the greatest human of all time, he's greater than all the angels. The Midrash memorably tells us that when it came Moshe's time to pass, all the angels came to try to claim Moshe's soul. And they couldn't overpower him because he was more powerful than them. Even the fearsome angel of death left Moshe's presence quaking in fear. Moshe was greater than all the angels because he lived, he existed, he identified as the most pure, unadulterated, holy, elevated soul. And of course, humans are also capable of descending to savage lows and to moral turpitude that cannot be matched by any other creation of God. That's who we are, essentially. We're conflicted. And as well, we have these constant conflicting influences, all trying to move us in this direction or that. So, of course, is it a surprise now that we're so conflicted? Is it a surprise that we're sometimes racked with doubt, with uncertainty? Is it a surprise that we can have different feelings and different attitudes about different things at different times? Humans are a mess. And the way this is resolved, the way this is upgraded, the way this is elevated, it's the ace up our sleeves. It's Torah. Torah was given to us to help us elevate ourselves, to upgrade ourselves, to refine ourselves. And that's just this complete truth. The will of God. And by us superimposing God's will upon ours, we're cutting through all the nonsense, all the noise, all the smoke and mirrors, all the confusion, all the uncertainty, all the doubt. And we render ourselves compatible with the Almighty. And we allow the Almighty to mold us, to mold our perspectives, to mold the way that we think, to mold the choices that we make. We have a simple system, a simple matrix. If the Almighty, the only source of truth, the only creator, if he tells us to embrace something, we know exactly what to do. If he tells us to reject something, we know exactly what to do. If he assigns value, priority, importance to a certain thing, that's a guide for us to do the same. Torah is the means by which we upgrade our operating system from this 
confused, jumbled mess that we start off with to achieving clarity and elevation and becoming the best possible selves and accessing that potential that we have. How is that done? That is done with way number 13. Biyishuv with equilibrium. Now, what does this mean? We said that there are various parts that are warring within us. In the words of Mesiel Sisharim, we are in a constant state of warfare. Before you're born, after you die, there's no war. When you're alive here, during this very brief period, in the grand scope of things, for this period, you are at war. And your intellect, that is your greatest power, because that is what enables you to connect to Torah and to connect to the Almighty. And your instincts and your emotions, that can lead you astray. And very often, the dissonance is going to be between how you think, again, provided that you know how to think, which is a different subject, because thinking can get commandeered as well. It can get corrupted. But should a person be able to think clearly, that very well may be in conflict. There may be internal friction between that and how you feel. And once you have that dissonance, you have a problem because it's easier to change how you think, to allow your thinking to get corrupted than it is to change how you feel and how you behave. And therefore, subconsciously, of course, or unconsciously, we're going to allow our intellect to slide and to be commandeered and to be usurped and to become colored and influenced. And that restores us to this equilibrium but that's one that sends us towards a very a very bad path because who's running the show? The rider is no longer in charge of the horse. It's the horse dictating, or more accurately, it's the donkey that's dictating. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Yishuv means equilibrium between our intellect and our emotions with the intellect in charge. We're with the raw, not raw, it's not the right word, but with the clear and cogent and uninfluenced, unbiased intellect in charge and governing and directing our emotions, which is working in sync with our intellect. Now, this is a state of being. It's also a state of study. The verse tells us this is in Dvarim, chapter 4, verse 38. V'yadata hayom v'hashevosa el levavecha. And you should know today, you should have knowledge today, and you shall draw it to your heart. There's a process. It starts off with knowledge. You imagine that's of the cognitive variety. And you start off with knowledge that's in your head, that's in your intellect, but it's not in your heart yet. 
And the method of study that is encouraged by the Torah, that's recommended by the Torah, is one where you achieve yishuv, where the study starts off in one place, but it migrates to the heart. You study on the level of knowledge, and you merge that with your unconscious. You take the knowledge, you take the intellect, you take the insight, and you draw it down, and you make it active in the emotional parts of who you are. And again, there's a specific pathway here. You start off with the intellect, and you allow it to penetrate the emotion, and you have created equilibrium between your mind and your heart. And now, what do you have? You have Torah that's been studied in a very different way. It is embedded within you, even in the parts of your being that are beneath your conscience. It's a big problem to study, but to kind of divorce your life from what you know, from what you've acquired intellectually. That's the kind of study of Asaph. Asaph's head was buried in the cave of the patriarchs because his head was indistinguishable from the heads of the other luminaries who lived there. The problem is that his body was not eligible to be buried there as well because he did not study Be'yishuv with equilibrium. And therefore, we have to train ourselves, whatever we study, to make sure it filters down to who we are. It informs our behavior. It influences how we actually live our lives. And it resolves the tension that maybe had previously existed between our mind and what we know, what we learn, and how we live our head, and our heart. And the truth is that this is really what Musr is about. Musr is that that bridge connecting our head and our heart. And trying to figure out where exactly do we need to improve in our heart, to try to study what exactly is happening beneath the substrate of our consciousness. And there's a method of study that that really tries to take whatever we're learning and draw it down as deeply as possible until it becomes a part of who we are, until it's, it's really placed upon our heart. And there is now congruence between our mind and our heart. And this results, of course, in less dissonance between the heart and the mind. So this type of study brings this type of result where the state of mind, literally, is at peace, in agreement with the state of heart. And that actually superpowers the whole system because now you're able to assess a problem in a dispassionate manner. You're able to dissect a subject without all the inhibitions without all the blockages and you can summon the full power of your intellect and the emotions are there at its side 
the intellect can operate in concert with the emotion. And the emotion is not constantly redirecting everything that is happening. All those forces, the body, the soul, the Yetzirah, the Yetzir Tov, all the environmental factors as well, can all be working on the same team, which is one of the major insights. Even the Yetzirah, it can be deployed as an asset, as a spiritual asset. When you have this equilibrium, when the intellect penetrates so deeply and emerges with the emotional state, where the Yetzir Tov and the Yetzirah are working in tandem, the verse tells us you, you have to love God. Which is inaccurately translated as with all your heart. But that would not be accurate because if so, it should say not bechol levavcha, it should say bechol libcha. With all your heart. Bechol levavcha means with all your hearts. Hearts, plural. Now, what does it mean, your hearts? You only got one heart. So, the Talmud tells us that, no, you actually have two hearts. You have the Yetzer Tov, good inclination, good heart, and Yetzer Hara, bad heart, bad inclination. And you have to love God with both of them. You have to find a way that both of them are operating in the same team. Both of them are rowing in the same direction. Both of them are pursuing the same agenda. That's the state of equilibrium, where now everyone's rowing in the same direction. Everyone's firing on all cylinders, and this could be a catalyst for meteoric growth, when all parts of a person are marching to the same beat. You've marshaled all the disparate parts to work together. Now you are an unstoppable juggernaut. And this is the ultimate goal of Torah, to unleash all that grand power that we all have within us. Yes, it may be an ember, but that's what we do here at Torch. We take that ember, we fan it to life. That's what Torah is there to do, to take that ember that we have within us, that raw power that we have within us, and to fan it into an incredible beacon of light. Clear away all those obstacles, not only that, to take those erstwhile obstacles and turn them into assets. And that is the way that we can achieve transcendental greatness. This is way number 13. Beyeshuv, with equilibrium. It's both a method of study, a form of study that gets very, very deep. It translates into action and emotion as well as the intellectual sphere. And the result of this is that every part of a person is rowing in the same direction. And the person becomes an unstoppable force, a runaway train. Now they are unshackled from the confines of confusion that had previously reigned. Those conflicting interests are now all working for the same team. And the person becomes a dynamo that can accomplish hitherto unimaginable things. Way number 13, be yishuv with equilibrium. And as always, my email address is 
rabbiwalby at gmail.com.